Uh, if you have your Bibles, why don't you open them with me now this morning to the book of Matthew, chapter 10. And if you've been with us uh, these last few weeks at all, you, uh, we have been capitalizing, we've been spending time in the books, uh, in the chapters of Matthews 8 and 9 as we walk through the entire text of Matthew. Just as a big reminder, the, our big series, the meta-series, is called Follow Me, and that's the, the book of Matthew. We've summarized the message of Matthew as follow me, meaning it, it, it calls the reader to follow Jesus as his disciple, and yet the text also serves to the reader as a manual for discipleship. Not only does it say, so you must follow Jesus, and this is what it looks like to follow him, by through via narrative and, and the teaching, this book was uh, early used as a, um, as, a, as a discipleship manual by the early church. This, that's what this book, one of, the, one of the uses of this text was. So, <clears throat> so we pick it up today, and uh, we're in this passage, the, 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 and, uh, the, with 8 and 9, uh, that, focus, uh, that spend some time focusing on the miracles of Jesus. So we've looked at miracles with meaning. And uh, so today, we're really continuing that, uh, but we, we are, it's kind of a conclusion. But it's to connect, it's, it's the, today's passage, passages are too connected, are directly connected to pick, pick, uh, chapters 8 and 9. So we're still lumping it in the, the mini-series of miracles with meaning, but it really is a, a, a now we've gone, we've, Matthew now shifts back into a didactic or a teaching section. All, uh, there, so if you have a Bible with the words in red, there will be a whole lot, a whole lot of words in red today. And we're actually going to look and if you're a part of Heritage Church, don't you start mocking me. We're actually going to read today. We're going to study 935 through 1042. Now you might say, wait a minute, get, gasp, Dav. We do usually do two or four verses at a time. I know. So you're thinking, wait, I'm going to need to push pause and, and get me a snack if we're going to be here this long. No, no, no. Don't worry. We, we shan't be that long. All right. So... Again, we've been reading about miracles with meaning, and the idea is that the miracles of Jesus had an immediate impact on the, on those who first saw and experienced them, and that and uh, and that uh, we have seen in, in chapters eight and nine, we've we've seen that what Matthew seems to be indicating in his brevity, he doesn't give a lot of details. He his point is that in, in every story is big Jesus is is to show us. He, his whole agenda is simply to magnify, to point out, to, to exemplify to the reader just how magnificent, how measureless, how marvelous is the authority of Jesus. And we've kind of summarized that as big Jesus. And that's what, and so it, it, it works to say, wow, big Jesus. And so, but it also is that there's a, there's an intention in, in chapters eight and nine that, that when people see big Jesus, they, that there is, that, that allows or that initiates, that ignites a response of big faith. The bigger I see Jesus, the more robust my faith, the more ro- ready my obedience. So it's the goal that is not to try to strain or to school myself on trying to have more faith. Faith will, my faith, the, the scope, the breadth, the depth of my faith will respond to the size of my Jesus. So big Jesus, right? And so we've seen that, we've celebrated that, we've we've drank that in. People have said, "Yeah, big Jesus," and woo woo, woo. and that's still true. Um, uh, when, and again, so in summary, when we've said big Jesus, we mean that Jesus is the greatest of all time. By the way, there was one sweet saint who saw that the title last week was Jesus is the goat, and as an acronym, and that sweet saint literally thought that I was calling Jesus a, a, a goat. 
And if they would have just given me two seconds, they would have said that understood that, that was an acronym. He is the Lamb of God. He's not an actual goat. He is the greatest of all time. And so when we say big Jesus, that's what he means. He's the goat. He's the greatest of all time. He, and, and that when we say big Jesus, we mean he is greater than. No matter what it is, no matter what it is in our past or our future or our present, no matter what we fear, no matter what's before us or against us, Jesus is greater than. Just, it doesn't matter what you put on the other side of Jesus. He's greater than. He's greater than. He's greater than fear. He's greater than, than, than anxiety. He's greater than economy. He's greater than governments. He's greater than viruses. He's, he's greater than debt. He's greater than... He's greater. He's greater than... He's, he's just... He's just the greatest. He, it, Muhammad Ali got nothing on Jesus. And, and we all are... We also, so what, and we've also said by saying big Jesus means our response to him is that, that initiates... If Jesus is big, then I say, I believe that you are able to do this. Saying big Jesus means, I believe, Jesus, you are able to do this. And, as we saw in the first part of Matthew 8, it simply means it's learning to believe you're willing. He's he's the greatest, he is able, and he is willing. That's big Jesus. And so far, the, the, the crowds and the disciples in particular have been amazed at Jesus' authority. But, today, there's a change. This is why it's so important in this text to understand what we're reading. It's not just, hey, remember Jesus? He was awesome. It's not just that. Today it shifts. Today there's, a, there's, a, there's, it, there's an axis that shifts in the text. And it, it couldn't, I don't want to say there couldn't be a more important axis, but it certainly it, it, it is a vastly important axis, axis in the text as it shifts here. What we will read today is that Jesus will now send his disciples out to be just like him. So if we if we've been following along and we're caught up with the the majesty of Jesus, if we said, "Whoa, big Jesus!" if we've if we've done what we're supposed to do and we've responded with the appropriate shock and awe at the magnitude of Jesus, and now we hear that Jesus says, "Okay, now you get it. Now go be like me." That there it is. Big Jesus means big mission. Yes. The size of our mission will reflect can only reflect the size of our Jesus. And if we've, and I say fallen, I want to say, if we've been, if we've fallen prey to the trap, it's not a trap, but you understand that by a figure of speech, if we, if we're like, okay, how big do you think Jesus is? Oh, he's massive. Oh, he's big. He's, he's the greatest of all time. He's greater than, he can do it. Uh, I believe this Jesus. Wow, 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 Jesus. Okay, now, there it is. Now then you go be like him. That should overwhelm us. That, that, that should send us staggering. That should open our eyes. Open our eyes. And that's important because of what we're going to see in the text. What we will see today is that what Jesus did by his authority, he sends his disciples out to do by his command. What he did because of who he is, they will do in his name. Big Jesus equals big mission. So, we're going to read today 9.35 through 10.42, but I'm not going to just read the entirety of the passage because no matter how colorful or dramatic I read it, eventually people will go... So we're going to read it in sections and then respond one section at a time. But the big idea today is big, is big mission. Big Jesus, big mission. 
Okay, so the bigger our Jesus, the better we understand our mission. The bigger our Jesus, the more we understand how important this mission is, the more we are committed to this mission, the more consecrated we are, the more eager we are, the more confidence we have in this mission. It all goes back to how big Jesus is. Okay, you ready? All right, <clears throat> so here we go. So we start, we pick it up at uh, chapter 9 and verse 35. And uh, where Matthew says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and, and look at your Bible, it'll say something to this effect, healing every disease and every sickness. Now, that is important because, that is important because, that is the, those are the words that, G, that Matthew uses to describe the ministry of Jesus in chapter 4 and verse 23. As he, as he introduces the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he says, healing every disease and every sickness. Now, he, re, he restates this again for emphasis, meaning this is not, that was not a unique aspect of Jesus' ministry. This is a consistent aspect of Jesus. This is the normative. This is the normal. This is the expected. This is, this is the new normal. healing every disease and every sickness. I might have explained to you before that, that this is actually a mirrored uh, reference to Deuteronomy chapter 7, where Yahweh promises to drive away all sickness and disease from his people, that Jesus is the mirror, he is the, as the image of God, he is the reflection, he enacts this ministry. So just consider that. He's going there everywhere, he's proclaiming the kingdom, and he's healing every disease and every sickness. That, friends, is really, really big Jesus. Then verse 36, when he saw the crowds, this is cool, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That, was, that word harassed and helpless, NIV does pretty good with that, and that's what it means. It means, harassed means that there's some foreign agent or for, some foreign object having ha, aggressively got on you and has and is afflicting you and then and that there's and helpless means there's nothing you can do about it the idea would be as if i were to if i were to grab and i've done well frankly i've done this in my i've done i've done this in my classes at the university i've i've grabbed one of the of the more um let's say lighter framed students picked them up thrown them down on the ground and then held them there no students were harmed in that illustration. But that's the idea, to be, to be seized upon by a greater force and then to be pressed by that force and you having, you, and then that person finding themselves in a circumstance where they can do nothing to get out of it. They are helpless to find a way of escape. Jesus sees the crowds and he says, they are harassed and they are helpless. They are, they are sheep without a shepherd. So he sees this need and then he has, and he has massive compassion on it and on this need of people. And then his response is to turn to his disciples. See, it's almost like Jesus is laying hands on one person at a time. But every one person he lays hands on, there's a thousand more people behind them. Yeah. Boom. Boom. This need is, it's, and the more people he ministers to, the greater the need becomes. And so Jesus turns to his disciples and says, the harvest is plentiful. Did you hear that? He, he sees people in need, harassed and helpless, and he calls that a harvest. In other words, Jesus sees uh, the, 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 the meeting compassion. A, 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 see, Jesus sees the compassionate confrontation of need as opportunity. He doesn't, he's not saying, oh boy, people are sick and oppressed. He sees people's 
pain, their hardship, their oppression as an opportunity to, for the kingdom of God to do something. That's the difference between looking at that and saying, man, that sucks, that's sad. Boy, look at those people, they're in bad shape. Yeah, well, that's bad. Oh, well, you know, that's, that's nice that Jesus felt bad for them. No, he saw their condition and saw it as an opportunity to solve it. So he said, pray. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's not a, he said, there's not a problem with God's power. There's no lack in God's power. There's not a lack of resources. There's not a lack, in, there's not a lack of power. There's not a lack of resources to handle this. All we need are the people to steward the resources of God to meet these needs. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus sees big need, he sees big big compassion, and he sees big opportunity. And so right away then, don't stop reading. Don't just because there's a chapter heading there. Forget about that. Just keep reading. Then Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. Now I want you to listen to the, the word, the language change here. This is important. By the way, just parenthetically, this is the first time in Matthew that we find out that there's 12. We've read about a handful of people being called, but we don't know that there are 12. We know there's a lot of people following him, but now this is Matthew saying, ah, here's the 12, and he's going to... Give them all, give, tell his audience all 12 of their names today. I won't spend a lot of time on their names. That could be fun for another time. But he calls his, but this is what he does. Listen, listen, listen to how exciting this is. He calls his 12 disciples to him and gives them, what does he give them? What does your Bible say? Authority. What word has Matthew used? Ooh, ooh. What word has Matthew been using to describe the ministry of Jesus? Since, since the Sermon on the Mount ended, ooh, and they, they, he taught with authority. Oh, they were amazed. What at authority? What kind of authority? What kind of a, what kind of guy is this that commands that commands the evil spirits? That commands the waves? What kind of he? Who is this that God has given? And the crowds were amazed that God has given authority to men to forgive sin and all the kind of thing. Authority, 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 authority. Jesus is authority. We get it. Oh, Matthew, Jesus has is amazing authority, and now Jesus, now he gives them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and every sickness. If you heard if you hear that, they are Jesus now commissions his followers to go out and to do word for word what he was doing. The assignment that they are given is the same that he was doing. They're their commission is the same as his mission. He gave them authority, not that, not authority that would reside in them or become their own. Uh, they they didn't walk around saying respect my authority. They they he authorized these to speak and act in his name. The rabbis understood that that that's what happened when a rabbi had a had a there was a mm, golly I wish I could have written it down but it was like. S H A L something or another uh, has a there was a, a rabbi's representative his agent and the saying was a man's agent is as he is so these apostles although that's a that's a Greek word and it has Roman type uh, history to it don't don't look for the Greeks and the Romans there look for I mean it's fine but listen to what it is in the in the in the as far as the rabbinical understanding that to, that to send these people out they were the agents of Jesus they were to speak and act as Jesus and they were to be received as Jesus that's how it worked in the rabbinical school they were they so they were uh, 
So he, he calls his disciples and he gives them authority. They were, to be, they were to become expressions of Jesus. And that is the mission. That's the vision, rather, at Heritage Church. That's what we say. Our vision is to become ever-increasing expressions of Jesus. We are to speak his words. We are to do his works. Our, their mission as ours, their mission was as big as Jesus. Please hear that. The disciples' mission, according to the text, was as big as Jesus. Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or any town among the Samaritans. Uh, go, uh, go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Then this is what to do. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. First of all, you say, wait a minute, how come they were to stay in Israel? Did Jesus have something against Gentiles? No, this is part of the mission. This is part of Christ's mission, and this is part of redemptive history. This is part of jurisdiction. Uh, this is the only part of the assignment that is of the apostles that will change after Christ's resurrection. After his death and resurrection, Jesus says, now all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go make disciples of all the nations. But for now, prior to his death and resurrection, God is still operating on his own declared uh, Jurisdiction that the mission is still in the is with the covenant people. These are the people with whom he's made covenant. But when the but the, when the new covenant is established upon the whole earth, all the boundaries are gone. We'll get to that in Matthew twenty-eight. But for now, this that's 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 so they're supposed to go around uh, in the in Israel, and their this was their proclamation is the kingdom has come, and the demonstration is listen to this. Look at that again. Heal the sick. Raise the dead, cleanse the leper, drive out demons. Those are those are that's a summary of everything we've just read in Matthew eight and nine. Ah, oh, wow! So Matthew eight and nine once again, each of those individual stories has an immediate impact, an immediate expression, immediate meaning, a wonderful aspect to them. But now we see, hey, wait a minute! Not only do they have an immediate impact, they have a they have an instructive, they have a pedagogical, they have a they have a discipleship meaning too. That what if Jesus that, that oh look Jesus that's what he was doing, heal the sick. We see each each one of those things is recorded in eight and nine, and Jesus says, "Go and do what you have just seen me been doing." And the writer Matthew says, "That's the mission of the church: go and be like Jesus." Yeah. They were to go out and and do what they just saw Jesus did. This is huge. It's too huge to imagine doing. It is impossible for us to imagine doing what Jesus did, unless we have seen how big. Jesus is. So good. Then it makes sense. Friend, if you or I have reduced or dulled or eased in any way, muffled, made more palatable, the shockingly huge, impossible size of our mission, then we need to take a fresh and long look at just how big Jesus is. Yes. Again, I'll say it again. If you if you yourself feeling like, or feeling wondering what you what kind of purpose or mission or value your life has, friend, I'm gonna say this gently. You need to, we probably need to lift our eyes off of ourself. Stop staring at the mirror or our navel. And stare at Jesus and in him find hope and value and meaning 
and mission. All right. Then in verse 9, the, the, it continues. Listen, he says to these who he sends out, here's, here's he, now he's going to describe how they're, how they're to follow out. He's going to tell, this is what your mission is going to look like. Now, I've told you what to say and what to do. Declare the kingdom of God and, and, and heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, drive out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. Okay, there's not, this isn't a, he, they weren't, this wasn't a multi-level thing. They were to, they, just as they received from Christ, they were to give it away. They were, they were going out as stewards uh, to dispense, to, to distribute that which they have been given. So here's the deal. Here's how it continues. Uh, long passage. Are you ready? Here we go. Verse nine, do not take uh, any gold or silver or copper uh, do not get gold, silver, copper to take with you in your belts. Don't store up money to take with you. Don't take a bag for the journey. A bag is a beggar's bag. So don't take money with you and don't take a beggar's bag or a philosopher's bag. Sometimes the philosophers of that day would travel around with a bag. And so they would say, philosophy philosophize, thoughts, thoughts, thought, and then hold out a bag saying, what'd you think about what I said? And then, okay, or they would, and they, they wouldn't just hold out a bag. They would actually beg. They would be begged. So he didn't send them out. They weren't, they didn't, they weren't supposed to go out as bankers or beggars. Ooh, she like a baka. Meaning they weren't supposed to come out with their, they weren't supposed to store their robes full of granola, and nor they, nor were they out to go out and beg for it. They, he didn't send them out as bankers or as beggars, but as stewards, as apostles. Here we go. Don't take, don't take an extra shirt or sandals where our staff. <laughs> don't get upset. It's like don't change your clothes. Uh, he's literally saying the last part is for the worker is worth his keep. He is saying where you go, you do the ministry and trust God. To through the people to whom you minister and for whom that you serve, trust God that they will respond to you in meeting your material needs. Do it by faith. Wow. Okay. Then he says, whatever uh, whatever a town or village you enter, search there for a worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. The, the Jewish practice of hospitality was not; they didn't have hotels and motels a lot. They didn't have that as much. The basic premise was you went to a town, and an, an honorable person would, would 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 welcome you in. It was a practice in the first century and before that. Okay. But then he says, stay there until you leave. Why is that important to stay until you leave? Well, the, I, we would understand that judging by the nature of their ministry and what they were doing, uh, as they would begin to minister and, you know, do, do incredible things and minister in the name of Jesus and people would be, begin to experience deliverance and healing, they would become increasingly more popular. So they're staying at Joe's house, but as their ministry perhaps gets uh, uh, applauded and celebrated, you know, Big Al down the road, he's got a bigger house. So now now, finally, Big Al comes wandering down and says, Hey, I see you boys have got a good thing going on. Why are you staying with why are you staying with Bill? Why are you staying at Bill's house? Come to my house. It's bigger. Well, if they leave Bill's house, they are dishonorable and they are they are they are pursuing gain. You see how Jesus instructs them to be honorable in what they do. So there wasn't something sacrosanct about about just staying in one place and don't moving. It is this is about honoring those who have been hospi- hospitable to you. You enter your home, give it your greeting, etc. And then it says, verse 14, If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. We know about they Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed by fire. And he said, oh, that's a better result than, than it will be for those who reject the message of the gospel. So shake the dust off your feet. In other words... They, this Coming back, looking at that paragraph, the mission of Jesus is a mission of trust. That was 
For the true for them, it's true for us. But let's just stay with them for now. For them, they had to trust God for their resources. They were to trust that the ministry of the gospel would be met by the hospitality and generosity of those who received it. They were to conduct themselves with honor. And they were to trust God with the results, not only with the resources of ministry, but the, res- but the results of their ministry. If they weren't welcomed, literally, they were to shake it off. If people don't welcome you or your ministry, shake it off. And people will be handed, people will be accountable to God for their response to the gospel or lack thereof. All right, picking it back up, verse 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Don't miss how, how powerful these opposite metaphors Jesus is using. Your sheep among wolves, that's frightening. That's scary. That is, I'm sending you out totally, you'll feel and appear totally vulnerable to those who would like to have you for lunch or dinner or all of the above. Therefore, the response is to be as shrewd as a snake, but as innocent as a dove. Meaning, be wise, be careful, act with intention, be deliberate, but don't be deceptive. Never have a hidden agenda. It's beautiful pictures here. Then he says, be on your guard, okay? You will be handed over to local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, Do not worry about what to say. Now, again, Jesus did say this to them, but there's a reason why Matthew's writing it down, because the mission of Jesus, the the church, is when the time of Matthew's writing and reading, and for decades and decades and centuries and millennia after, continue the mission of Jesus. And so these words are are here to teach us. This is a manual for discipleship. And if you you will, if if I say apostleship, understand what I mean is how to live on mission. Okay, But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how you'll say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father through you. So, their mission will include conflict, but the conflict is a spiritual conflict, and the Holy Spirit will help them. Their mission will require them to be guided, as we said a moment ago, by by conviction and by courage and by cool heads. And the important thing is they will not be alone. The Holy Spirit will help them. But now Jesus continues, verse 21. Brother will betray brother to death, father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I truly tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the students to be like their teachers and servants to be like their masters. And so you get the feeling you're going to be, it's enough or it's good if you're like your your teacher, your master. And here's your, your teacher or master is, if the head of the house, if the teacher and master has been called Beelzebul or the prince of demons, we just read that, how much more the members of the household? So what Jesus is telling them is that their mission may expose or div- may divide or expose loyalties. Right. It's not that they're going to, co- he's not sending them out to sow discord and cause problems, but the message of Christ will expose where people's loyalties are and may divide those loyalties. And the cost for confessing Christ may very well be great. Now, 
we've, we can interpret that by looking at what happens around the world today. And people that Lori and I know that, that we're a part of a certain perhaps religious community or not non-religious community. And when they confess Christ, they were disinherited. They were disowned. There are places in the world that if you confess Christ, your own family will seek to put you to death. That's still the case today. Jesus is warning them that the, that the mission of Christ will expose loyalty because it's a spiritual conflict. That these disciples will be resisted, they'll be persecuted, and they'll even be hated. And Jesus says that if they, if they hated him, they'll, they'll probably treat you that way. If they, call you, if they call Jesus, you know, Beelzebub, uh, look, if they call you Beelzebub, but they call you a pretty good guy, if they call Jesus Beelzebub, but they say, but you're a pretty good guy, we might have missed something. You know, if, if people say, hey, you know what, I think that Jesus is kind of suspicious, but you seem just fine, you've probably missed the mission. Ultimately, Jesus said, you will be saved as well as their hearers if they stand firm. So, verse 26. So, there's the, essentially, there's kind of the bad news, right? So, like, be ready. This, you're, what you're facing is real. Verse 26. Here's, th- I want you to hear three commands in this passage. Verse 26. So, do not be afraid of them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that, not will, be ma- that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. That's a reference probably to the, school, the rabbinical school where the doctor would speak quietly to, the, to, to his, uh, his padawan, for lack of a better word, his assistant, his trainee. And the doctor would say it quietly because, uh, you know, he was prestigious, so he wouldn't raise his voice. The doctor would say it quietly. And then his number one, his, his trainee, would say it broadly, would say it out loud. That was a regular practice in the rabbinical school. Jesus is citing that. Hey, I, Jesus, what I have said to you in private, meaning quietly together but amongst themselves, you say it out loud. Okay? You proclaim it out loud. That's a great thing to... There's a lot of great principles there. And if we were going really slow, I might take time to talk about how important is it is your private, your quiet time with the Lord and that and that he, he will likely whisper to you that which is supposed to come become uh, a, a, a message or a mantra or a mission for you. So listen quietly to the voice of the Lord. That would be a great teaching for another time. Okay, so what I tell you, uh, said, but so do not be afraid of them. Then he says it again, verse 28, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, the only rightful place for us to have that kind of reverential fear is toward the Lord. And if we do that, it gives fear of the Lord gives us boldness and compassion, courage and conviction and cool heads toward others. Are not, and then he says, Are not two, spar- two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Some of us, again, that's easier for God to keep count than others. So, but then verse 31. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Three times Jesus tells them, don't be afraid. What do you mean? Don't be afraid of resistance. Don't be afraid of persecution. Don't be afraid of people's opinions of them or even what people might actually do to them. Don't be afraid to speak the truth. Don't even be afraid of death because there are worse things than death. Don't be afraid, most importantly, because you are immeasurably valuable to God and are in his care. Finally, pick it up now at verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace. 
to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword, meaning to divide. To, there's, meaning he's calling people to follow him or rebel. You either follow Jesus or you rebel. There's the sword. It's a divide. To divide those who will, who will submit, who will, who will follow Christ, and those who won't. There's only two kinds of people. There's only the red. For I have come to turn a man against, and he's quoting, a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter, mother, a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law. A, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. He's not coming to divide households. He's not saying that's his mission. He's saying that's going to be the result of people's loyalties to him. People, when it comes to following Jesus, both the, both the, the sender and the receiver, both the, the apostle and the disciple, both the one who announces Christ and the one who confesses Christ, following Jesus is all in. Yes. And that's why he says in verse 37, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me isn't worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You don't get it. If, you're, if you have greater affection for anybody else, if you have greater affection for anything or anyone, then you have, then you have not seen just how big Jesus is. If, if Jesus has anything close to a silver medal, you haven't seen him. You don't know him. Finally, verse 38 and 39. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Verse 32, like we said before, applies to everyone. Uh, it, to, those both, both, to those both who announce the gospel and those who receive it. All of us must own Jesus before everything. In our testimony, we must take a public oath that we are followers of Jesus. That's what Jesus says. You've got to acknowledge me before men, so you'll be acknowledged. My testimony, both in my preaching and in my testimony, I must acknowledge Christ first and foremost. In all of our relationships, I must be more devoted to Jesus, to my family, or to my culture, or to anything else. This is, don't underestimate the radical call that discipleship is. Even in our individual lives, I must die to this world and live for, for Jesus. Or they were, I'm getting ahead of myself, they were to die for Jesus, and they were to die to this world and live for Christ, and they were to call people to do the same. And then ultimately it ends up in verse 40 and 42, where Jesus says, Anyone who welcomes you, welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me, welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet, receives a prophet's reward. Whoever re welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person, receives a righteous person's reward. So the your reward will, will reflect who you are welcoming and who, what, how you recognize what you're welcoming. Come on now. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, I tell you, that person will not lose their reward. First of all, it is impossible not to be rewarded, but the reward will reflect the, how, how big you see Jesus and how big you understand what's going on. So just let, don't try to increase, don't try to gin up the reward. Just understand that I'm, if I'm welcoming Jesus, I can expect us to receive you see, if, you're, if, I, if I welcome a prophet, I receive a prophet's reward. Well, if I welcome big Jesus, you say, well, I'm not welcoming big Jesus. I'm welcoming someone who sent him. Ah, Jesus said, whoever welcomes you welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And so he's saying, if you, when you welcome, 
the, the, if you will look and see the size of Christ, if you will look and understand the, the, the person of Jesus and his majesty, look at him and throw, our, throw open your arms. If you will welcome Christ, if you will be a part of, of, of proclaiming Christ, if you are a part of receiving Christ, then what Jesus said, this will be the most reward, the most rewarding life you'll ever know. Their mission will be rewarding. Then the reward will be big Jesus, big reward. Okay, so there's what he said to them. So let's just bring it back in quick summary. And how does that just, how could we summarize that in terms of it challenging us or informing us with regard to our mission? Well, first of all, we might have to ask, I mean, it's 2,000 years ago. Is our mission different than theirs? Well, yes, for a couple of reasons. Number one, of course, their unique mission was unique to them originally, but that mission never stopped. As we jump forward to Matthew twenty-eight, the, that, that the only it's, the commission continues, and so it's it, while it's 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 different, but it's not different. But here's the biggest part: How is our mission different than theirs? It's bigger. Because in Matthew 28, instead of just going to the of Israel, now the mission is to now the mission is includes everything he said before except for this one part. Now go to the entire world. Now the only difference between what we read from of their mission and our mission is the size of the need and the size of the opportunity. But the size of Jesus hasn't changed. Yeah. Your mission is still as big as Jesus. What he did because of who he is, now we do in his name. This is why we read in Acts chapter 3 and verse 6, when, when Peter's at the gate of, uh, of the gate beautiful with the man who was lame from birth, Jesus says, I mean, Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. We, what, what Jesus did because of who he is, we do in his name. Peter said, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you now see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him. Colossians 3.17 to all of us, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. We still function. Our mission is to act in his name. And like them, we trust Jesus for the resources for this mission. That's why Paul says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And we trust Jesus with the results of our mission. 1 Corinthians 3, 7. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. You plant, you water, God grows. And when because God grows it, he gets the glory. We also need to know that you and I, even though we live in America, we used to be able to say, isn't it just pleasant and sweet and perfect and wonderful? Okay. We we will be resisted. There will be there we're there will be risk. There will be conflict, but we are not alone. First right. Peter 4:14 says, If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And Paul tells us that our struggle isn't against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly 
realms. Even as we're, this is our struggle. This is why, this is, this is why we've got to remain spiritual in our, in our, our warfare, in our, in our, in our, our struggling, our wrestling. We cannot ever become carnal or we'll, or, or we forfeit the, we, we start fighting on the wrong front. This is why we also pray, grant us boldness to speak your word as you stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. We trust God. Also, regardless of what we might face, we must not be afraid. That's right. 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul says, For the spirit God gives us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. Paul will later also write, Be joyful in hope patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. And our mission, friends, requires that we own, that is, that we identify with and that we are loyal to Jesus before and above everything, including our own lives. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul will write to the, to the Corinthian church in, in 2 Corinthians 5.15, And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. We own Jesus. We, are, we identify with him and are loyal to him above everything. Yeah. And then finally, friends, here's what Jesus reminds us of. And this mission to be expressions of Christ in our world. This mission will be the most rewarding life we could ever live. Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 29. Truly I tell you, said Jesus, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundredfold in the in the present age houses brothers sisters mothers and children in the fields along with them persecutions and in the age to come eternal life nobody outgives god yeah. nobody out sacrifices god god is a debtor to no man Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving, and he will be your reward, and he will reward you. And that is what it means to follow Jesus. Big Jesus, big mission. All right, let's pray. Just take a few moments. If you're still, if you're still on today, if you haven't pushed pause or... Take a moment, will you? Let's pray together. Think about this. Are you living on mission? Do you see the need around you? 
Are you aware of the need? Can you, do you feel a sense of Christ's compassion? Can you, do you respond to the need around you as opportunity? It's nothing to hide from, but run into it like a field ready to be harvested. Again, if we have in any way reduced or dulled or minimized or made more palatable, more doable, this mission, if we can reduce it to a little manual or a three-step process, if it's just a matter of technology, if we've modified this mission to make it more pleasing to people's eyes or ears so that they don't have any problem with it, we might have we might have missed just how big Jesus is. Jesus didn't tell us to go pick a fight. He told us to go proclaim Jesus. And the message of Jesus is the mo- is the greatest message of hope and peace and power. But you have to trust him with the results. Bottom line is how will you obey and imitate Jesus? How will you be his expression? How will you be his sent one today? Today I pray that the Holy Spirit anoint you to be pleasing to him and powerful for him. And may the size of your mission increasingly reflect Big Jesus. Lori and I love you and we bless you today. Thanks for being with us. Thank you again for the opportunity to come barging into your life wherever you are. And uh, we pray that Christ becomes ever larger, ever more present, ever more beautiful, ever more powerful in your life as you become increasingly, ever, ever increasing expressions of him in your world. We bless you in Jesus' name. Thanks, everybody.